Hello and welcome to A Chronic Entrepreneur. My name is Dara and my mission is to change the dialogue surrounding chronic illness by sharing empowering stories of entrepreneurs thriving with and despite their chronic illnesses. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis seven years ago, mere months after opening Byzantine Design, the most beautiful tile store in Melbourne, Australia. These stories are what I was looking for when I was diagnosed. I'm happy that you are here. Awarded the Lifetime Social Justice Literature Award by the International Literacy Association, Order of Australia, nominee for Australia for Astrid Lindgren Memorial Award, Suzanne Gervais is recognised for her writing and advocacy on social justice, literacy and for the children's book community. Published in literary journals and anthologies alongside the works of Sir Salman Rushdie and Thomas Keneally, she has represented Australia internationally in conferences, festivals and industry. Her books are endorsed by the Cancer Council, Room to Read, Bringing Literacy to the Children of the Developing World, Children's Hospital Westmead, Sydney, Books in Homes Reaching Indigenous and Disadvantaged Schools, Life Education, Many Anti-Bullying and Literacy Organisations, an acclaimed national and international speaker, Suzanne Gervais is head of the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI Australia East and New Zealand, ambassador for many literacy, reading and equity campaigns. Welcome to the podcast, Suzanne. How are you? Not bad and thank you for inviting me. Oh, that was quite the mouthful. Oh, I'm sorry to do no. that to you. What a what a um what a bio is you think the older you get, the more words you get in your yeah, bio. I'm sure. When I was born, it just said she's arrived, and that was <laughs> my entire bio. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, she's here. And now you're endorsed by all these amazing, you know, bodies of yeah, it's just amazing. What does SCBWI mean? That is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Ah, okay. And yeah. it has 30,000 members worldwide. Amazing. Yep. In most countries. We are a force to be recognized recogn yes. with. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's let's start talking about your entrepreneurial journey and your children's books and your how you got to all these words in your bio how did you get here today well firstly you know when you get this chronic illness I remember I was at university I was only in year first year and mm -hmm. it hit me with an enormous force I suddenly couldn't move my hands I was really very um compromised to say the least and, I and we're talking about rheumatoid arthritis, yeah? It's rheumatoid yeah. arthritis. Yeah. And the many association diseases that come with autoimmune. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time reading up about it and it said I will be in a wheelchair. So therefore I cried because I didn't want to be like that. But what happened is eventually, well, not even eventually, I sort of worked it out. I have a choice to live my life or become known as a disease well I didn't think that was very attractive so I decided to begin my life and yes it has had a lot of challenges 
I mean, I got to sit in the room for all the other challenged people when I did exams in this big room. And they said, all you challenged people, you can do your exams here. And I thought, oh, there's so many of us. <laughs> what year was that? That oh, that was in the 1970s. Now you know that I'm really old, but honestly, <laughs> I couldn't help aging. You're experienced. I'm experienced. Look at all the words you've got. Yeah, I've got so many awards. But anyway, I did my exams there and um, I began to adjust to the fact that life is physically painful and also emotionally because sometimes it's really hard to pursue your dreams when you face these challenges. Like, can you believe it? I was the sports captain for the economic faculty. Well, once I got, you know, rheumatoid arthritis diagnosed, I had to lose that. But it didn't mean that I lost my spirit to be all I could be. Yeah. And that's what I pursued. And you know what? I did, you know, I got married young. I did teaching. I did. I was an educational consultant. I did lots of things, but sometimes it was painful, I must say. And, you know, you develop techniques that hide your pain. Yes. You know, I remember hacks. I call them hacks. So you kind of find the quickest way to do something so you're not expending the energy. Yes. And also, you know, I remember because I've always been a speaker. So speaking, you know, at large, uh, large um, conferences and so on. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't walk. So just having that really courage to put away my walking stick, make sure there's a few chairs around and get on with it. And do you know what? I didn't want people to identify me as that person who is ill. I wanted them to identify with the messages and the purpose of my life. And the purpose was always to bring literacy to kids, to empower writers and other creative people, you know, to write the stories they need to write. And that's what I planned to do. And it was pretty hard, actually, but I did it. And I started off by getting with a humongous mortgage I was immune compromised to say the least I had two ankle biters uh, who were my little kids I had a virulent divorce and I was looking after my aging mother mm. and I decided to risk everything and go into a old terrible terrible falling down hotel i mortgaged every single thing i had and i began the journey to recreate this hotel and make it a center of literacy and also the amazing community of children's writers and illustrators in this country and it was amazing Mm. Where, where is the hotel? Is it still? Well, the hotel um, is in Sydney in Queen Street. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that um, when we were trying, oh, my God, there's so many hilarious and crazy stories we had because I, of course, got my kids to work. What else can you do at six years of age? You know, your mother's working, you work too. 
helping they got to pay their way. Yeah, yeah. yeah helping me <laughs> step in the paint. They decided to make lots of money and took out all the old furniture which was falling down to sell it on the middle of uh, Queen Street, which is quite a historic street. You can imagine all the neighbours were very impressed. Yeah. Well, you know, we just, you just make do. And when I wasn't feeling well, which was a lot of the time, mm. you know, I'd rest and still think. I still had my brains and I would do that. And I worked really hard. I mean, the hotel was falling apart. I always remember, oh, my God, some of the funny things that happened, you know, things like I was uh, sort of, it was really falling apart and all the bricks sort of fell down and we had students in there because they didn't have to pay much money and one student comes down and he's covered in sort of bricks and stuff and he said look the wall fell down and I brushed him off I said do you feel better I said go into another room and there it was so you know just make do you just gotta yeah, yeah. and we had a rat a rat we knew we saw his tail we chased that rat up stairs downstairs we got that rat and you, you might say how did you get money it was really hard yeah. we basically was sort of like a hostel and then a backpackers and this and that and everyone worked in the family so by the time my son can you imagine my son is 10 years old and he was the night porter. So, yep. I love it. <laughs> he was there answering phones or whatever. And in the morning, he would put on his school uniform and off he'd go to school. So did you live in the hotel as well? Yep, we lived in the hotel. <sighs> Amazing. Not all the time, but some of the time. My poor kids, they were always, you know, when you've got a business, a passion, an idea, it's not you alone. You come with a family. Yeah. And they have to be part of the journey because it won't work otherwise. Yeah. And also because my family were refugees from Hungary and war and terrible times, the way we were brought up is that your family and family always contributes. Doesn't matter how young you are or not. And my children were brought up the same way. We are one. And we all pitch in together. Do they have businesses now of their own? My daughter, she works with me in my yeah. business. And my son, he um, is in, oh, he's, he's very clever. And he's in a big company and he's a national director in his 30s. I'm so proud of him. Aww. Because, you know, his, both my children have the same resilience that they grew up with. They know that they've got to work hard, be clever, laugh when all the be kindness kind. of life, yeah, kindness, they, all those things. And it makes them great survivors and great successes, really. Yeah. And, and I think um, they always, you know, they saw me sometimes when I'd have a really bad attack, I'd be lying on the couch. They knew, they, just, they were kind. Really, when they were very little, they knew. Yeah, and I think uh, being a night porter obviously set him up to be the <laughs> people <laughs> management skills. Yeah, people management skills to um, be where he is now. <laughs> yeah, both my kids said working in the hotel taught them a lot because 
people, while most people are lovely, wow, are the mean ones mean. Yeah. Oh my God. One thing we learned, do you know, every time anyone loses anything in a hotel, it's the cleaners. The cleaners have come in oh, yeah. and stolen it. Always those dastardly mean cleaners, honestly. So they learned all that. I like that we we used to uh, make breakfast, you know, for everyone. And, you know, people are so strange. Like I remember this couple, they came in and they'd eaten the whole breakfast. They'd loved it. They came in and said the breakfast was terrible. I thought, really? Yes, it was terrible. There was only croissants and bacon and eggs. And there was only three kinds of jam. And there was only orange juice and apple juice. And it went on and on. And it's not good enough. Can we get a refund of our night's accommodation? Wow. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty dramatic. Yes. So we had nice things happen. We got presents. I got one guest left um, us money in their will. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. To buy so is it still there or is it? What's happened is um, I ran it and I built it up from absolutely, honestly, it was a DOS house. It, mm. Oh, hang on. Let me just tell you my first guest at the hotel. Yeah. Sorry, are we talking in the 80s? Like what year are yes, we talking? we're yeah. talking in the 80s. So I get a big knock at the door and it's Constable Plod from the local police station. And I said, hello, Constable. How can I help you? He said, mm, I want to check your guest list against our basically criminal register. And I said, oh, my God. Wow. We had a lot of people who were very seedy and dark I can tell you it was a real weird place but the thing is um I ran it for 25 years and we built it into a glorious boutique hotel which is the star of my new novel oh mm, the, uh, growing up in a old historic hotel in Queen Street so it's become part of that new story but the thing is I ran it for 25 years and neither of my children who'd grown up there wanted to continue running it. And I have to tell you, I may have chronic illness, but I haven't got eternal life. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I, I didn't want to spend my whole life just running the business. There's yeah. a time and place. It became very successful, became the center of children's literature. There was every, all the famous children's authors from all over the world would speak there and there were meetings and it was, there were art exhibitions. It was glorious, but it wasn't forever. It's like Camelot had to end. So, so a few years ago, I did sell it. And you know what? Because I had worked so hard and we had developed this business, that's where my profit came from, from my passion. And that profit has enabled me to continue my journey as a author, especially a children's author, and also to support the many campaigns that are deep in my heart. Because as a uh, child of refugees, I was fully aware of the importance of education. Yeah. If you don't 
give people education. They can never, illness or no illness, be all they can be, never. And I think the gift of even just a book, a novel and the escape, I know for me, like I've constantly got a book on the go and I always have since I was a kid. But, you know, for me, it's just the escape from every day, from the real world. And you go into a fantasy world of whatever it is, even through the pandemic for me, like reading is just the refuge. Well, I think um, I certainly survived because of books. Mm. I mean, my parents came to this country and they didn't speak English. And my mother was the daughter of a professor of engineering and my father had been a farmer, but they both worked in the factories, um, double shifts and so on. And they missed their home and there's so much loss. You can't really recover from terror. Mm. And it was hard growing up as a child in this family. And they worked such long hours and I only survived because of books. Books that I could escape to, books that gave me the wisdom to understand how to deal with life, you know. And so being a writer was very dear to me. And both my parents believed in books. They may have worked in factories and they may have had a different life here to the life in Hungary, but they believed in books and education. And that was certainly my saviour. My parents were very proud that I chose to be an author. It was really important to them. It's also a calling, isn't it, to be that kind of thing? Like yes. you just have to do it because it's... Well, I think it is a calling to be a writer, but writing is not necessarily a financially positive experience. <laughs> so... The fact that I combined my writing with my business life is why um, it was I was able to achieve my goals. So I think um, you have to, in business, mix your calling with an ability to, you know, achieve something that is financially a you financially you can survive I mean I had two kids to raise and I had to pay for them and And a chronic illness to manage and uh, yeah you know it's so strange chronic illness is both a gift and a curse correct I 100% agree Mm. and if you choose if you choose to deal with it and not make that the big goal of your life just to deal with it to make it something that is in the fabric of your life. So, you know, I had um, breast cancer three times because I'm a slow learner (laughs) in my 30s and 40s and 50s. And I thought, I'm tired of this. Did you learn? (laughs) I learned, I learned. And and because I've got um, rheumatoid, it's really linked to all those other autoimmune diseases, Hashimoto's and Sjogren's and uh, all the uh, diabetes and all the other things that I live with. And I've had many, many operations. But you know what? It's something that I just know is part of my life. And I have never accepted that it is my life. Yeah. It's just the things I must negotiate and navigate. Yeah. And I do think there's a really good commonality between chronic illness and the entrepreneurial journey. I think 
they both give you this resilience and they both, I think if you get the chronic illness, like you learn that resilience and then you become an entrepreneur and then that gives you a different kind of resilience. But, and it's also just an, I know for me, it's just an absolute stubbornness of, no, no, well, I have to do this because I can't do anything. Like, I don't want to do anything else. And if this is my life, I want it to be my choosing. You know, in some ways, when you do deal with this chronic illness situation, which I had, I mean, I got rheumatoid at 19, but I already had chronic illness as a child Mm -hmm. with many allergies and many things, which are all precursors to what happened at 19. I just think that we're not soft in, we are soft in our hearts can be kind, but not soft in the sense that poor me, I can't do anything. It wasn't like that. It was, I've got this and I'm going to win. I'm going to do this, you know, more like that. And I sometimes think, when you're given everything and never are tested, then you may not ever be an entrepreneur or follow your dreams because life is about going on the hard journey. You know, it is. And then you get success at times, disappointment, but ultimately you pursue your goals and you enrich your life, your family and the world. Absolutely, 100%. It's... It was interesting, I've spoken about this before, but at the start of COVID, that whole living with uncertainty, like, and a lot of people couldn't cope with that. And I was like, this bit I'm good with. This bit I'm like, I'm okay with the uncertainty because I'm I'm used to that. But there are a lot of people that really struggled with that at the beginning, which I found really interesting. And even at the end, I mean, we've got quite a high level of suicide and depression because they've not understood they've lived their life but I mean I wouldn't know I mean I remember going on a big author tour for example into the outback and so on and suddenly I'd have a massive attack Mm. what am I supposed to do I just got to manage it somehow and I do I do and like you know that's what it is I'm not going to reduce my life because of it but I'm going to manage my life because of it yeah and you and you come up with the workarounds yeah a lot <laughs> Just, of workarounds yeah the best yeah I There's, mean one of the things which you know I, my daughter I love both my children obviously of course and by the way with my chronic illnesses worst pregnancies on earth but good news is I didn't die but I was getting there but the thing is And again, I could have chosen not to have children. I was told I shouldn't because it would risk my life. But you know what? Because of other, because I also had toxemia, lots of things I had. This is all part of the same syndrome. But I did have them, thank God. And do you know what the blessing is? My daughter, when I do travel, like going to tours to Turkey or wherever I'm going, because they ask me to come over for festivals, I, my daughter comes with me. She says to me things like, I don't want to go to the boring bits where you're speaking, charming. <laughs> I'll come with you to have the holiday. And do you know what? It's actually quite helpful because like in my last, one of my last tours, I just got 
three weeks where I could not walk, not for love or money. It was so bad. It was very nice to have a daughter who I risked my life to give birth to to now pay back and give me a hand. And she's happy to do that, of course, you know. That support is really important. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I find travel quite hard sometimes, just overwhelming. Well, it is overwhelming. And actually, because my daughter happens to, we get on and she happens to travel with me quite a bit and she has a lot of pleasure. But the thing is, it's very helpful for me. Just knowing even mentally, knowing you've got someone else there. Mm. And, you know, I mean, yeah it's actually very helpful so it shows you you give and take in this you know with these chronic illnesses in a way you live your life but you give and take and sometimes it comes back yeah absolutely so let's talk about the chronic so you've listed a few yeah (laughs) do you want to list them all oh so boring but okay I have to remember them all okay Mm -hmm. I've had as I said I've had cancer actually four times mm-hmm. and I've lived can I just say I wrote this book to help kids and it's a fictional book mm. for kids when their parents you know they're always frightened the parents will die yeah and um, I'm talking to these kids you know in regional New South Wales actually and one little kid a country boy puts up his hand and he says Suzanne did you die oh yeah that was pretty funny but um so my illnesses are look I started off really with anaphylaxis at the age of 11 so I'm really super allergic to whatever and that ended up all these things by the way I lived which was very nice so clearly you're still here (laughs) I'm still here and you know with that you've got all those millions of allergies with the hives and the breathing and blah blah but I still lived life it was not defining me even as a child mainly because I saw my parents working so hard I felt like saying got to deal with my own stuff by the time I'm 11 I think so I started off with that and lots of allergies but at 19, when I was at university, I got my major attack for this rheumatoid arthritis. And it was, and it's a funny old disease. Some people are really, really crippled from it. For me, it comes and goes. And sometimes it's crippling. And, some, and from there, I had many diseases. And to me, they're all autoimmune. Yeah, you collect so, them. Once you get one, you just keep collecting. Correct. Lots of others, yeah. I think it's the same. um, I think it's whatever the autoimmune problem is, it's the same one. My body recognises itself as the enemy. And then, like, for example, when I had my daughter, it knocked out my thyroid. Yeah. You know, and it gave me a heart, a bit of a heart condition, whatever still think she's worth it she says to me she's I she wasn't I said wrong you're the the (laughs) apple of my eye said I with my son but anyway with my son when I because it's the same problem uh when he was born I got a stroke so Mm. you know um from toxemia and just from all who I am medically but so my 
permanent illness is a Sjogren's. And it's a disease I loathe and hate because people talk about dry eye. Dry eye, they don't get what go and take some, uh, you know, eye drops. I want to go and kill them because dry eye is so extreme. It's when you've got no fluid in your eye. You can still cry, but it pits the cornea. The pain, oh, no. the pain is unendurable. Yeah. Makes childbirth look good. It's so bad and it, and it makes, it really is hard to continue your business. I can't, if you, it's so terrible, but I found there's a lot of wonderful doctors in this world. You just got to find them. Yeah. And my professor, he knew about dry eye. And what happens is I go once a year to the Red Cross where I get my blood taken. And my blood is then uh, formulated into DNA drops made from my own DNA. And I use them. And that's why I still get dry eye, but not, not like that, not... It's amazing technology to be able to. It's extraordinary, but I love it when I collect it. I go to the hospital in Sydney and I've got this big box which says hazard and a big cross on it and everyone's avoiding me. They think I've got AIDS or something. And I say, I'm going to touch you. But no, <laughs> I get my drops for the year. And similarly with Sjogren's, you get dry mouth and people again say to me, oh, I get Just dry trick. mouth and I want to get yeah. kill them. You don't know what dry mouth is. Yeah. Dry mouth is that you can't sleep. You've got to be up every hour to drink water. It means that your teeth fall out because they've got no saliva. It means a lot of things. So Sjogren's very, to me, is debilitating. And mm. I've also got like Hashimoto's, my thyroid died. And so I've got lots of medications for that. And when I'm really good, with Hashimoto's, I've got, you know, I'm great, move along. But if it's an artificial replacement, and I've got a number of tablets, and if it's not working, I become fatter and sort of very unable, you know, a tiredness that does not refresh you. You It doesn't matter how much sleep, yeah. Yeah, people say go to sleep. It's not, it's yeah. not that tiredness, it's a tiredness. It's in your bones, like it's just... Yeah. And, you know, when you get them all together, you're so tired, a tiredness that knows is not refreshing. You can't refresh yourself. So you've got to make sure you're on your medications for that. And I've got, you know, of course, diabetes. I've got to do my 20s, again, an autoimmune thing and very yeah. family-oriented. And then, you know, I've got, oh, it's so boring. I've got so much. It's Dear. quite a long list. <laughs> I don't want to go on to all of it. I get I get tumors. I remember this. Doesn't matter. Matter. It's. I remember the worst surgery ever. Five days in intensive care, screaming with pain, blood transfusion in my neck because I had lost all veins, and you know I'm just in so much agony. And by the time I get to the ward. You know, I'm thinking I can't move. It took me about a year to recover, but I still ran a business. I still looked after my kids. I still was writing books. I don't understand sometimes how. 
but because it's your constant it's the and I think if you worked for someone else you wouldn't have that drive but because it was your passion and your constant of even when I'm sick I can still keep doing it do you know what that's a really insightful comment that when you're driving it and you've got people dependent on you as well yeah. mm. be it staff family whatever you don't have the luxury really of doing it I, I mean you just got to kick on well I'm good at kicking on <laughs> I, mean, kick I think you are I think I'm you're not. like expert level kicker on or a kicker on or and sometimes you know sometimes it always you know I look and I sort of think someone says oh, I've got a cold and they need to rest and I'm thinking uh-huh and, really yeah. really good but and what about men they always often have the man flu yeah. the rest I would say you know I don't know it's hard but then I don't know. That's my life. What am I supposed to do? You wouldn't be who you are and you wouldn't have the stories to tell and you wouldn't, but you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be who you are if you didn't have all these other challenges and stories to tell. You're a storyteller. I am. And do you know what's interesting? Like because I've lived my life with pretty big challenges at times, I've got so many stories to write. And my stories are always about empowering young people. It's always about that because kids get overwhelmed by the world and everything they face and parents arguing and whatever the expectations are. I write stories that have always got a friend and they know they can make it. Yeah. And you've got the unique perspective. Yep. I think I look and at all the learnings. Yeah, yeah, like it's just, I think that's what a chronic illness gives you. Like I look at some people who write their other novels and they're so trite and they're okay. There's nothing wrong. They provide entertainment, but they can't go deeper. And kids mm. are deep. Yeah. They are deep, you know? And you have the ability, like my new book, Heroes of the Secret Underground, like it's about the incredible resilience and courage of kids that can make it, you know, and become heroes. Heroes Absolutely. of change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to read it. When's it out or is it out? It's just come out this year. Okay. Uh, HarperCollins. And it, I don't know, I, I do a lot of autobiography in it. Hint, my parents' <laughs> names are Zoltan and Varushka and the grandparents in the book are? Zoltan and Varushka. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, with I, all I, these things that you've got going on, your shopping list of illnesses, <laughs> how do you yeah. manage it all? Like what do you do for healing? What do you do to look after yourself? One thing that it took me a long time to realise, you have to rest. Honestly, I find it really hard to rest. But if I don't make a concerted effort to rest, then I break down. So, you know, I'm not, I'm actually, yeah, one, to rest. Two, I am absolutely, and I'm not a hypochondriac, trust me, um, I do make sure I manage my illnesses. At the very beginning, I did not. 
I was completely irresponsible because I can survive and I ended up in huge trouble. So I Well at 19 thought, you're immortal. Like you, you don't, you know what I mean? Like you don't think anything's gonna stop you. No idea. And then you learn the hard lessons. Exactly. And you yeah. know what? My GP is the most beautiful, amazing guy ever. And he manages my cacophony of illnesses, which are very many. And he helps me through, you know, you do have to find the GP from heaven. Yes. A GP who cares for you. And it's absolutely essential with chronic illness. Yeah. It just is. And also the specialists, like my eyes, my eye professor, I, I mean, without him, I can't go on, yeah. you know. And it, I think if you've got chronic illness, you have to have the courage to actually find the answers to your illness. Because so many times when you're ill, they'll just say, you're stressed. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. I'm not stressed. I'm ill. No, you need some antidepressants. I feel, I'm happy to take antidepressants if you will stop the inflammation in my knee. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was told I had anxiety. There's lots of friends of mine that are like, and you go, no, no, it, this isn't what that is. And they just go, just take the tablets. And just you know take what? them and you go, no, I don't want to. It's cruel. It denies the journey we have. So, for example, because I get inflammations, if I go to a normal GP and I say, look, you know, I need whatever the, I mean, I'm on very heavy medications hmm. for my inflammatory problems. But if I go to a GP, he'll say, oh, you've sprained your ankle. I said, look. I haven't sprained my ankle. I've got inflammation. I just need this medicine. It'll be gone in a week or so. No, you've sprained your ankle. And so they don't, they're at, don't listen. No, you know better your illness and how it plays out than the doctors. The doctors are there to work with you to ensure that you can pursue your life, really. Yeah, and I think the good doctors are, but I think the the problem with we put doctors on a pedestal. Yeah. And their word is ultimate. And it's like, well, no, no. I'm my I'm my best advocate for my body because I know my body. Yep. And I know with my I went through three or four neurologists before I found the first one who'd actually talk because I didn't want to go on the medication at first. Mm. And a lot of them just didn't want to see me. Yeah. This guy, like my first appointment was an hour long and he sat and talked me through everything. He did speak a lot of medical speak that I didn't understand, <laughs> but, but it was still an hour and I still got all my questions answered. And I think you've just got to keep pushing until you find those people who are in your team and you've got to have, you've got a team of people that you go to yep. for different things. Yep. And look, that is really important. And I guess, um, you have to have the courage to pursue it, even if you're offended. Like I remember with um, our medication I was on, because a lot of problems you're going to get are reactions to medication. Absolutely. They just are. Yeah. 
And it's not the medication's fault. It's not suitable everything for everyone. And one of the medication I was on was causing me to have liver problems. And I was really fainting. I wasn't doing well. And I saw the doctor and he just said, well, basically go see a psychiatrist. And I just felt like saying, that's all right. I am feeling I'm fainting. Do you understand? He said, no. I was really offended and I cried afterwards because I felt like a complete failure that I'm making it up and so on. And of course, they said, yes, you are having um, liver problems due to medication. You need to change it. And then suddenly I didn't collapse. But I cried because he made me feel like I was a liar and pretending. And I felt like saying it's hard to be brave all the time. Exactly. Yeah, it is really hard. <laughs> sometimes, hard <laughs> sometimes you are brave and you just don't want people to put you down to say mm. it's not what it is, you know. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that. I had an ophthalmologist that I went to and he was so old. He should have probably retired 20 years before he'd seen me. <laughs> and he was just so rude to me and so disrespectful yeah. and then and then they give you a bill and you're yeah, like and then he said to me at the end he goes well good luck it's like you've just made me cry and really upset me it's it's you've got to find <laughs> and let me say there are beautiful doctors absolutely around, yeah yeah but but you've got to shop and you've got to talk to people who also have chronic illnesses and ask them mm. who to go to who is the right doctor? Yeah. I mean, I remember with my second when with my second child, I'd had such an awful first one with a stroke and just many illnesses. For the second one, what I did is shopped around. I went from one hospital to the other till I found a unit that could deal with my problems. And that's why, you know, my daughter, although I must say I was in hospital after I was three months pregnant for the whole pregnancy it was pretty awful wow. mm. and I still ran my business in the hospital bed <laughs> before I, laptops before yeah. yeah well yeah had laptops brought in paperwork I don't yeah. know what am I going to do this sit there for six months yeah you would have gone crazy I just knowing you for as long as this conversation's been on, you would have driven everybody nuts. I did a little. I used yeah. to escape through the window. <laughs> I was very naughty. I was on total bed rest for two minutes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten all this. But you know what? When you have chronic illness, you live with it every day of your life and you manage yep. it. And there's some days that are damn hard and other days that are so funny. And other days where you negotiate how you manage it all. Yeah, and you kind of go, I've got this. I'm good. Things yeah. are good. And you, yeah. 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 It's, um, and the pandemic hasn't made any of it any easier. I'll tell you what. No, it's made it harder. Yeah. Yeah, and looking after yourself is almost a full-time job. Yeah. Management, yeah. Appointments and, yeah. It's tiring. In some ways, I quite like the phone um, things because it's less effort to go in. Oh, telehealth. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, I like it. I said, you have to have a phone one or do you want to come in? I said, no, I want a phone one. Oh, just, yeah, you don't have to drive in it, don't have to park. Oh, don't have to, 
just pick up the phone. It's like exactly one of the best stuff. things that's happened out of this whole pandemic. I, I'm with health. you. Yeah. And it doesn't waste your time. You sit there, they always make you wait forever. It's boring. Oh, yeah. And it's normally like half an hour, 45 minutes to get there. And then you're like, they're running half an hour, 40 minutes late. And you just. Whole yeah. day. Wasted. Yeah. Doing nothing. But if you're late on a phone call, I'm okay. I can be at home doing whatever I need to do. Doesn't just matter. call me when you're ready. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. One thing I do think is you do need to have all the supports set up. You do. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't. You just have to have the support set up, the right medical team, the right medication, a good pharmacy. Like, you know, if you run out and you know the pharmacist, they'll still give you the medication. Yeah. Yeah. Because they know you and you've got to have, I mean, I do have an osteopath which is incredibly important to my health hmm. i mean other people might have a different one but the osteopath is good for me because they can do the acupuncture when i get seized up or whatever it is as well yeah so so you have an osteo any other modalities that you see i apart from my my osteo is really a brilliant again to find the right one because yeah. in this osteo clinic, he also has a therapeutic masseur, yeah. which I actually love. He does, um, apart from soft tissue, he does um, acupuncture, yeah. which I don't love, but it's been very, <laughs> very <That's>... helpful. <laughs> I hate it, you know, and he, I have this lockjaw stupid thing from Sjogren's and he can help me, but it's so painful. And I always think that I wish not. But anyway, I do see them all quite often. <laughs> I don't see the normal masses because they're not good enough. Yeah. Like he can read the x-rays and like. Well, and if they all work together, if they're all in the same clinic, all your notes are there and it's a lot easier. Yeah, I couldn't live so without my chiropractor. Yeah. Oh, do you go to a chiropractor? Yeah. Yeah, similar, similar. Yeah. I mean, you can, some people, I don't, I'm not so much with the physio because I don't find them proactive enough for me. So, you know, they're all right if they're in the clinic and they help you with exercises, but sometimes you need a very proactive yeah. approach. Yeah. yeah. You know. I couldn't live without my chiro. I do kinesiology. I've started I, with their neurophysio as well. That's interesting. Um, yeah, he's he's interesting because he does kinesiology and lots of other things as well. Mm -hmm. That's all for my bladder. But yeah, that's all. Just keep trying different people. You've got to try. You've got to work out the medical help that works for you. Yeah. I mean, I did go to a Chinese herbalist and he was so terrified of my condition. He said, <laughs> I can't treat you. I said, he gave me all this stuff. And then I got home and I got an urgent message saying, please do not do anything. I say, just go to your doctors and your specialist. And oh, okay, I will. And I'll be like, where do I start? Which one do I deal with first? Yeah. But you work it out. You do. Work it out. And you know what? It's, you know, we live at least in a modern society where we have options. Really. So lucky. Yeah, so lucky. So lucky. I mean, I know 
I'd be dead long time ago if it was in a third world country. So, you know, I consider myself blessed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get to the final questions that I ask everyone. Okay. So let's pretend COVID's over. There's almost is apparently. We'll see. Yeah. But what are you looking forward to in the next six to 12 months? Well, I'm really looking forward to now that I've got rid of my hotel. Yeah. I still am deeply involved in the world of, you know, kids' literature and I'm setting up conferences and all that. So I plan to continue that. But my real focus after COVID is I want to really spend me time and write because that's what I want. Because what happens is when you get involved with businesses and entrepreneurial things and helping everyone, not so much time for yourself. So that's my whole wish that I want to just get peace of mind and do some writing. And I still will do all the things I always do, which is, you know, I'll be a director of conference, this and that. But that's what I want to do for the next 12 months. And I want you to promise to make me do it. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> I'll check in with you. Good deal. Yeah. yeah. Do you go somewhere you? to write? Huh? Do you go somewhere to write or do you just do it at home? Well, one of the things, because I'm in the, you know, I've done my great entrepreneurial work. So I do like to work at home in my study. But I get so many millions of disturbances, I can't explain to you. It like does my head in. So this year, I am planning to take time away from the craziness and the demands that come to me every day. And yeah, because isn't that the big romantic idea that you, yes. you go to your cabin yes. and you walk, you go for hikes yes. and you write and you... Yes. Yeah, I wish that for you. Thank you. And I'm even going to get a beret on my head. So I really look the part. Yes. I think that would be, yeah, that would be amazing. I would like to write a book one day as well. And that's well, you my... You have lots to write about. I will. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking for... But yeah, that's the romantic dream, isn't it? The cabin yes. somewhere or the... Yeah. Okay, so if you can have a dinner party and invite anyone you want, alive or dead, three-part question, who would you invite? Who would you sit on either side of you and what food would you serve? Okay. Now, my name is Suzanne Gervais. Everyone calls me Suzanne Gervy, Pervy, Garvey. But my name is Suzanne Gervais. And the person I love is Ricky Gervais. Similar name. <laughs> I, I can imagine a dinner party. He's next to me. I would be laughing and yes. I would have all that sort of humour, that's one side. Yep. On the other side, I would have basically Albert Einstein. And the reason is, even though he's a great scientist, a Nobel Prize winning physicist, if you read him, he has the most beautiful philosophy of life that you are on this world to do good, to enrich. So I think with the humour of Ricky and the wisdom of Albert, I reckon I'm made. That's an awesome evening. <laughs> what food would you serve? Well, the food I would serve, which is really, I think, my favourite 
food happens to be Turkish. I know, I don't know if Albert and Ricky like Turkish, but I it's like your, it. It's your dinner. You can have My whatever dinner. you want. <laughs> Turkish it is. And the reason is when I was in Turkey and they're the most, they've got so much trouble with politics and Erdogan and blah, blah. But they're the most beautiful people ever. They are so smart and literate and funny and they have the best dinner parties and I just adore them. And their food is delicious. It's it is. not like our food here yeah. in Oz. It's all full of tomatoes and, you know, falafel and this and that. I love it. That's and even the way they eat, it's communal and it's... Yes. People talk over it and yeah, it. yeah. It's like a feast in itself. Just yes. The people. Yes. Yep. I'll come. Can I come to your dinner? Yes, you may. Okay. You, Ricky, and Albert. Albert, I'll have to dig up, but nevertheless. Well, Albert and I have the same birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that is a big honor. <laughs> it is, That's isn't it? Albert. So I could talk to him about that. <laughs> yes, you could. Yeah. A lot in common. Okay, so a piece of art. So something that someone else has created, if it's music, books, music, anything that has had an impact you or gotten you through the pandemic over the last two years. Look, I absolutely adore, I guess, and this is so boring, but I actually adore uh, classical music. I didn't know I adored it, really. I mean, I've listened to it, of course. But what's happened is that I actually put it on ABC Classics and I discovered it was very peaceful. I did that at home. Mm. And I didn't know that I loved it. Normally I'm headbanging, but no, I actually loved it. What are you headbanging to if you're normally headbanging? Oh, well, normally I do. I'm sorry to say this, but I do things like I'm going to tell the truth. Beach Boys. Thank you. I love the Beach Boys. I do love, um, oh, I love all the, I like Tina Arena. I like Natalie Ambrulia. And the most favourite thing I like yeah. are the musicals. I could listen to Les Miserables forever. Oh, I really? could listen to Cats. I could. All that. I've I got a very eclectic. Yes. Mm. but we all do yes we all do yeah but I find with me with if my brain's too much like if there's too many classical music just it just calms me like I, I can yeah. I feel like I can exist and things aren't as hectic and mental yeah. and I just can breathe yes and I agree I don't know I never realized that this pandemic has shown me it's not something I normally put on but I think where with chronics, like I think you're very hypersensitive mm. to a lot of things like noise and it can all just get a bit much. And I think I classical agree. music's just that downtime, that just, yeah. just beauty. Like it's just, it's beautiful to listen to. I agree. Awesome. So we're in tune. We are. I'm coming <laughs> to your dinner and <laughs> we'll listen to classical music. And you like my food. Yes. You like my company. Yes. You've We're good. My next party. Okay. I'm, done. I'm there. When I'm in Sydney next, I'll let you know. Oh, you give me a call. Yeah, I'd love it. Well, Suzanne, this has been so much fun. 
I just really want to acknowledge you for all that you put out into the world and all your stories that you have, the gift that you give to everyone and it's through your learnt experience. And I just think that's beautiful. And I think the way that you see life and you live is just incredible. Well, I'd like to thank you for that. It took me a really long time to thank people because I'm always embarrassed yeah. because you live your life the way you live it. But mm. I'd like to say the same thing to you. Oh. I think there is no point in living unless we live with, I think, honour. Try. We try. Yeah. Because, you know... The world is confusing and we see a lot of terrible things, but we can do our little bit, can't we? Yep. And I it doesn't have to be big, it just is little. Little bit. Mm-hmm. Where do we that. find you? How do people support you? Oh, okay. Of course. <laughs> you can support me by going onto my website, and my website's really easy. It's S for Suzanne, Gervais, G-E-R-V-A-Y. If you look up Suzanne Gervais or Gervais, I populate social media because I've got an unusual name. Yeah. And it's I'm so glad I wasn't born with the name Smith. Big trouble of being an entrepreneur or anything. Yeah. So if you look me up, you'll find me everywhere. I'm on Twitter, Insta, and the things I do. And my new book, which I said is Heroes of the Secret Underground for that crossover period from childhood to adolescence and it's really about how we meet adversity and find the courage to be heroes of justice and I think um, I put my life and soul in that book and it's dedicated to my beautiful parents mm. I can't wait to read it I'm getting <laughs> Good. thank you for listening to this episode of a chronic entrepreneur Please also check out the blog at achronicentrepreneur.com where we have featured dozens more of chronic entrepreneurs who have shared their stories. If you have a chronic entrepreneur story of your own you would like to share, please don't hesitate to get in touch using the submit form on our website. Until next time, thank you for supporting the chronic entrepreneur.